0: Hey, everybody. It is Monday, February 5th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I'm recording this, uh, Jill, just as I'm about to fly back to New York from Houston, Texas. I was down here, had a warm welcome in Houston, got the opportunity to meet a number of our listeners and speak about media coverage and the war in the Middle East, Israel-Gaza, the Jewish Federation down here invited me. It was a great conversation and also got my fill of Tex-Mex food while down here.
1: So, Moshe, yeah. that should have been what you're eating for the weekend. It, um, it, well, <laughs>
0: it, should have been, it should have been. I should have looked ahead and knew that I was headed to Texas. And there's a couple things they're known for down here, including barbecue. Um, so I appreciate the recs I got from some of you on the uh, premium page. I shared some of the places I went to. And it's always great hearing from people uh, who listen to us daily, Jill, and ask uh, a variety of questions about our coverage and how we actually feel about Athletic Greens. <laughs>
1: that's, the, that's the number one question that I get. <laughs> Do you use Athletic Greens? Or I'll get how are the factor meals? Mm-hmm. Questions like that about all of our, of our sponsors. And I try to
0: be totally honest. You know, I've said like, I don't focus on the taste. I focused on the effect of athletic greens. I'll always be straightforward about how we feel about uh, anything we're promoting.
1: And Moshe, in the name of honesty, I guess we should also mention that because of your travel schedule tonight and because of the Grammys so late, our recap will be in the newsletter this morning. And not on this podcast. So if you are here for all things Grammys, <laughs>
0: this isn't the episode for you. Definitely go go to MoDat News if you don't get the newsletter already and subscribe. <laughs> we'll have the recap in the newsletter this morning.
1: All right, let's get to the news here. The U.S. strikes back at Iranian targets across the Middle East this weekend. And President Biden says more is coming. 2024 politics as President Biden dominates in his first official primary this weekend And the Trump-Haley war of words escalates as Haley makes a cameo on Saturday Night Live. We'll have that. After weeks of negotiations, senators laid out their border deal and foreign aid package. What's in it? And does it have any chance of passing? The U.S. economy rolling along according to new official job numbers, but is it translating to the lives of many Americans? And new data on the number of American parents still supporting their kids into their 20s and 30s.
0: Mom, the meatloaf. Get the reference?
1: Wedding Crashers, Mosh.
0: Best movie ever. They they had foresight. Will Ferrell as an adult living in his mom's basement.
1: In that bathrobe. (laughs) The retail apocalypse that wasn't. How many Americans are still doing the majority of their shopping in person? A legendary district attorney stepping down after decades. Well, a TV district attorney you might be familiar with based on this sound. A set of Michael Jordan's shoes auctioned off for a record amount, and Mosh has on the same history.
0: Jill, a little bit of everything today. FDR tries to peck the court, Supermarket Sweep, and the story behind Toto's Africa, a song that almost wasn't.
1: You had me at Supermarket Sweep, Mosh. (laughs) One of my all-time favorites.
0: Jill, it belongs on the top 10 list of the 1990s.
1: All right, let's start in the Middle East, where the U.S. struck back at Iranian targets across the region, hitting terror groups that they back in Iraq, Syria and Yemen. On Sunday, the U.S. struck across six provinces of Yemen held by the Houthi rebels, including underground missile arsenals, launch sites and helicopters used by the terror group. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin warned the Houthis after the strikes that, quote, They will continue to bear further consequences if they do not end their illegal attacks on international shipping and naval vessels. It came after earlier strikes this weekend. On Friday, the U.S. launching an air assault on dozens of sites in Iraq and Syria used by Iranian-backed militias and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. The massive barrage of strikes hit more than 85 targets at seven locations including command and control headquarters, intelligence centers, rockets and missiles, drone and ammunition storage sites, and other facilities connected to Iranian forces that arm these groups. So this was all in retaliation to last weekend's drone strike on a U.S. base in Jordan that killed three Americans and injured dozens more. And the U.S. says that it was launched by one of these Iran-backed groups, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan also warned that these U.S. strikes may continue. Iran over the weekend verbally condemned the U.S. airstrikes on the sites in Iraq and Syria linked to its military, calling it a strategic mistake, but refraining from threatening to retaliate. The Iranian foreign minister said the attacks followed decades of American efforts, quote, to resolve issues by relying on force and the military.
0: Yeah, this is what we've been telling you, that basically the U.S. was messaging here, telegraphing here, like, you're going to get these assaults, you're going to get these counterattacks, and you are going to have to suck it up, Iran. So notable the way Iran has been responding thus far. So these dozens of airstrikes across Iraq, Syria really align with the goals the U.S. has in the region, which is send a message to your enemies while limiting damage and avoid getting pulled into a wider war. So the U.S. appeared to calibrate these attacks to avoid a larger war, effectively gave several uh, days of advanced warning for the militias, for the Iranians. They were able to pull some of their advisors out. Republicans criticizing the president here for waiting so long. John Kirby from the White House pushing back, saying, you got to do these things in a deliberate way. You have to carefully select your targets. We wanted to make sure all the parameters uh, were in place. Our pilots could get in and out safely, et cetera. But also effectively what's being done here uh, that Kirby wasn't specific about is that they are trying to message to Iran days in advance, and trying to calm things. How successful this is, whether this becomes a real deterrent here, TBD. But the U.S. did make a point of not attacking Iran itself within Iranian boundaries, nor did it strike Hezbollah in Lebanon, which is really the most powerful of the Iranian proxy terror groups in the region. Iran did say on Sunday they warned the U.S., do not touch our cargo ships in the Persian Gulf and the Red Sea. There are two ships that are widely known to be Iranian spy ships that look like cargo ships. Uh, and the concern the Iranians have is that could be the next thing the U.S. hits. So Iran is saying here, don't hit those ships or we might counter strike. So it appears here they're drawing a line at that.
1: It came as former President Trump chimed in on all of this this weekend. He claimed that the attack by the Iran-backed militants on the U.S. base in Jordan that killed the three American soldiers Wouldn't have happened if he was president. He told Fox News, quote, I had Iran in check. And then he related a story from his presidency when he said that the U.S., quote, hit them very hard for something Iran did. And then Iran was compelled to hit back. He claimed that they called him to say basically that they were going to hit a certain location, but that they were not going to hit it and that it was going to be outside of the perimeter. And then they allegedly said to him, please don't attack us. We're not going to hit you. And then he said that was respect. We had respect.
0: Yeah, apparently what he was trying to say there was this was an attack a few years into his presidency. It's unclear if this was classified information or if this was verified. And it sounds like Iran might have used Iraq to relay a message. And we should note that while no U.S. troops were killed in that attack that he says showed respect, more than 100 were diagnosed with brain injuries. And there was a bunch of damage done uh, to U.S. assets there. But effectively, what you've been hearing the argument here from Trump is that None of this would be happening around the world. Basically, everything that is bad that happens during the Biden presidency would not have happened on his watch. And that's something that he's been emphasizing on the campaign trail. All
1: right. Staying with 2024 politics, President Biden won his first official primary in a landslide on Saturday. We told you the Democratic Party moved their first primary this year to South Carolina And it appears South Carolina returned the favor to the president. He got more than 95 percent of the vote with long shot competitors, Congressman Dean Phillips and motivational speaker Marion Williamson getting two percent. Biden had wanted to win South Carolina by a huge margin to show strength and counter perceptions that his candidacy is struggling and that Democrats want somebody else to run. He made repeated visits to South Carolina in the run up to the election including a stop last month at the church in Charleston where a white supremacist murdered nine worshipers back in 2015. The South Carolina primary was Biden's first appearance on the ballot in his bid for another four year term. As we told you, he won the New Hampshire primary last month as a write in candidate since he wouldn't appear on the ballot because of that new schedule. His supporters got worried about embarrassment there, and they did this write in campaign For a largely symbolic result, given Biden's frontrunner status, the more intriguing drama in South Carolina happens a couple of Saturdays from now on February 24th, when Trump and Nikki Haley square off in the state's GOP primary under South Carolina's open primary system. Democrats are free to vote in the Republican primary. They are barred from voting in both, however.
0: Yeah, so as far as how many Democrats are still out there, you can get a sense here from the turnout this weekend. Only about 130,000 Democrats partook in the primary this weekend. Uh, For perspective, 540,000 Democrats voted in the Democratic primary back in 2020 in that open race, Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren, Buttigieg, etc., Biden. And so just based on rough math there, there's about 400,000 Democrats who voted four years ago who did not vote this weekend which means a number of them could partake in that GOP primary later this month that is a more competitive race. As for Biden, uh, again, we mentioned that write-in thing in New Hampshire. He's now officially won uh, his first primary in South Carolina. The White House hoping here that that's quiets discontent, uh, that there wasn't much of a protest vote, even though a lot of headlines are about you know, the number of people who don't want him to run, it appears, Democrats in the state were very happy with him and were lodging a complaint, at least not with their vote this past weekend. It does come as Trump and Haley are going to be having that big battle in South Carolina. Haley continuing to ratchet up her attacks, trying to get under Trump's skin. And she made an appearance of all places over on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. Uh, It was effectively a, a fake CNN town hall on SNL with a comedian playing Trump and Haley appearing as herself asking questions of fake Trump. Here's a clip.
1: And you've spent $50 million in your own legal fees. Do you need to borrow some money?
0: Oh, Nikki, don't do this, Nikki. (laughs) Nikki, tiki, tavi. (laughs) Nikki, don't lose that number. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment, we call her. Six cents, remember that one? (laughs) I see dead
1: people. (laughs) Yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot. Oh, that's not very nice, Nikki. It's not nice. And I'm always very nice to you, except when I'm implying you weren't born in this country. Even though you're from South Carolina, and now I'm going to beat you in your state.
0: So you can hear her continuing to make her age argument there, Jill, uh, via Saturday Night Live. I should also note at the end of that segment, she also effectively finds a way to admit she messed up with the Civil War slavery question. She was asked during the segment directly as part of the skit, Nikki Haley, are you willing to admit that slavery was one of the causes of the Civil War? And she says, yeah, I screwed that up live from New York at Saturday night. So uh, using that opportunity. Given what we know about South Carolina Republican voters, probably very few, if any, were watching Saturday Night Live this weekend. And so the big challenge for her in the next couple of weeks is trying to overcome this huge advantage he has in her home state where she was governor. The latest polling shows him at 58%, her at 32%. That's a 26-point lead for Trump. And the big question we have over the next four weeks as we head into Super Tuesday Early March, where a third of all delegates are handed out, many in winner-take-all states, which require you to win, to win all of the delegates. It's not going to be proportionally allocated. Translation, within four weeks, Trump could have several hundred more delegates than her and be running away with this thing. So she has to find some way to break through here, including not being embarrassed in her home state, if she hopes to win.
1: Mosh, one of the more fun, if you want to use that word, conversations about politics is always the veep stakes. Yes. Who the presidents are going to pick as their candidate.
0: We have a unique understanding of what fun means here <laughs> in the news world.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going, define fun, Jill. <laughs> Will it be
0: Tim Scott or Kerry Lake?
1: Needless to say, we enjoy this stuff and we hope we're making it fun for you. Um, Speculation does continue, though, about who Trump is going to pick. He has been downplaying it, saying it doesn't matter much, although because both candidates this year are on the older side, the VP pick means more.
0: Yeah. And when we say older side, the two oldest candidates in American history running for president, both will be in their 80s in their second term. So Trump here has two paths. He can pick someone who appeals to independents or groups that he wants to expand to in the middle, per se, or he can double down, go full MAGA, go full Make America Great Again and pick a Kerry Lake or Elise Stefanik and churn out the base. Those are your sort of two options, historically speaking, when it comes to VP. Option three for him. Go with someone super, super boring who does not overshadow him, someone like Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota. And so, you know, door number one, you know, Carrie Lake, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Elise Stefanik, full MAGA. Door number two, uh, go for independence or perhaps try to pick up some black voters with someone like Tim Scott. And then door number three, fully boring, like this fun game that we're playing for VP ends by being, who? Huh? huh? very underwhelming. Our friend Peter Hamby over at Puck News, P-U-C-K, Puck News, which we've told you about, uh, has newsletters in a variety of uh, areas, including politics, uh, has a good piece on this this week. So there continues to be speculation there. And uh, Trump, of course, famous for the show The Apprentice, will be using the coming months to effectively audition these VP candidates.
1: Now that's a show that I would watch Trump putting the <laughs> vice presidential candidates through challenges. It would be fun. And I think that would be entertaining. It would,
0: it would be fun. I don't know. Given what we've seen lately when it comes to primetime ratings for the networks, Jill, they could use it. <laughs> All right, we have a lot more coming up in today's podcast. A couple of interesting business headlines uh, coming your way. But first, we want to thank our sponsors this week. We begin with Factor Meals. We've been using them in our house lately. We still want to eat healthy and nutritious, uh, but sometimes you just don't have the time with children, as many of you know. And so that is why we are very excited to have Factor on as a partner here, offering an incredible discount to the mode News community. Factor can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, dinner with Chef Prepared, dietitian approved meals they're delivered ready to eat straight to your door they go straight in the fridge they're never frozen you have them for a number of days and uh after a couple minutes in the microwave they're ready to go there's been a couple delicious meals i've had lately uh you can skip that trip to the grocery store the chopping the prepping etc still get the flavor still get the nutrition there are more than 35 weekly meals to choose from you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing several meals a week you can pause reschedule them etc they also have juices Shakes, smoothies, ready in two minutes or less. Head to FactorMeals dot com slash fifty. That is F A C T O R Meals dot com slash news fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there: noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do. But you can immediately transform your sleep with bowl and branch. We have bowl and branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Motion I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONews at bowlandbranch.com. That is bowl and branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. That promo code Monews M-O-N-E-W-S for 15%, one five percent off your order. And now to Athletic Greens, we're always talking about health trends and food trends, and it is hard to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to get all of the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day, knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. I drink it in the morning. Moshe, one of my friends, always likes to say that he thinks of it as his insurance policy for the day, meaning he's already got all of his good stuff covered in the morning and not that he could pig out in the afternoon, but at least he knows he's got all the good stuff covered now with your first purchase of AG one athletic greens is giving Mo news listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG one visit drinkag AG one.com slash Mo news to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription and try it one time for just a month. Again, that is is AG one.com slash Mo news M O N E W S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read. Let's start with a big political story from the Washington Post. After months of talks, Senate negotiators on Sunday released a sweeping bipartisan border security deal aimed at discouraging migrants from crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. The $118 billion national security legislation also includes billions of dollars in funding for Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific. But even before seeing its contents, lawmakers on both the right and to a lesser extent, the left have slammed the measure. And House Speaker Mike Johnson has called it dead on arrival in the House. Former President Donald Trump, who has made the border a core campaign issue, opposes the deal. Regardless, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that he will hold the first procedural vote on the legislation on Wednesday. This legislation is a top priority for President Biden. And it would, if passed, mark the first significant action taken by Congress on immigration in decades. It attempts to close loopholes in the asylum process, limit the use of parole for migrants at the border, And give the president new authority to effectively shut down the border to migrants when attempted crossings are high. Senator James Lankford, a Republican from Oklahoma, the lead Republican negotiator, called the bill's changes to asylum dramatic and predicted that it would discourage migrants from attempting to come to the United States if passed. In an interview on Sunday, he said people come in mass numbers because they're getting released into the country He said, quote, if word gets out immediately that it's not true anymore, people will come in a more orderly fashion. The proposal also includes some Democratic priorities, like adding thousands of more family-based visas, providing more work visas for some asylum seekers and guaranteeing a right to counsel for migrants in expedited removal proceedings. Republicans initially demanded a border policy change to pass the $60 billion in Ukraine aid requested by the White House last year. And the final deal contains many tough border provisions that Republicans have long hoped to implement. The overall aid package includes $14 billion in assistance for Israel, $60 billion for Ukraine, and about $5 billion to Indo-Pacific nations. It also has $10 billion in humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza, the West Bank, Ukraine, and other nations, as well as $20 billion in U.S. border funds. So it's one hundred and eighteen billion dollar overall price tag is now higher than the White House's initial request for one hundred and six billion. Again, House Speaker Mike Johnson says the bill is dead on arrival in the House, but we'll see if anything changes. Senator Kirsten Sinema, who helped work on this deal, she is an independent, has said this is a unique moment and I think we should take it. Now to the economy, this from CNBC, the U.S. economy added a stunning three hundred and fifty three thousand jobs last month. This is according to Bureau of Labor Statistics data that was released on Friday, and this was a stronger than expected gain to kick off twenty twenty four. And it's really underscoring the resilience of the U.S. economy, especially important in an election year. The unemployment rate remained at 3.7 percent from the month prior. It is the 24th consecutive month that the country's jobless rate has stayed under 4 percent more than a year ago. It seemed all but certain that the job market would feel the effects of and potentially go into a recession over the Fed's aggressive rate hiking campaign but 11 rate hikes and four pauses later, the U.S. job market is registering one of the longest periods of expansion this century. Inflation slowed down and the economy still doing great.
0: It's wild to think we're now enough into the century, Jill, that we can refer to it as this century. We're 24 years in now.
1: Given that I peaked in the 90s, Mosh, you, you know that <laughs> the that, last that really
0: hurts. <laughs> that was really turn of the century. You Really a turn of the century type of... Uh... <laughs>
1: I should really say I peaked last century. People would be like, how old are you? We're
0: a quarter century in now. Anyway, not to (laughs) digress since we already have. But given how great things are, there's always a downside. And we'll discuss them right here, as we've been telling you. January's job gains did dash expectations by a number of traders in the market that the Fed could be cutting interest rates as soon as March. The hope is on the part of the market that we see multiple interest rate cuts. In the next year, that effectively interest rates have peaked. But given how strong the economy is, you can see that there might be reservations on the part of the Fed before really pouring gas on the market here uh, by cutting interest rates. So the probability here, this is based on one measure, has gone from 38% down to 20% that we could be seeing an interest rate cut next month. Because the last thing the Fed wants to do after curbing inflation is to make inflation go up again. As far as the jobs numbers here, uh, Jill, private education, health services continue to drive job growth, more than 112,000 new jobs in those areas. Healthcare and social assistance saw about 100,000 new jobs, and that was followed by uh, retail, trade, and business services. The leisure and hospitality industry is still growing ever so slightly. They added 11,000 jobs in January. That's one category we've been watching post-COVID. One of the interesting things here is as these economic numbers continue to look up here overall, that is changing how Trump in particular has to calibrate his economic message because right now it looks like the Biden economy is doing pretty well after Trump continues to criticize it. So at one point last week, Trump actually took credit for the stock market, saying this current stock market that's going up It's actually his stock market because he believes the traders are trading on the fact that they think he'll be back in a year. Uh, That's been poo-pooed even by people in the Trump orbit. One thing Trump is focused on, though, is talking about the past couple years and inflation and the effect that's having uh, notable over the weekend. Despite all this major economic data, Jill, Trump continues to hold a major advantage when it comes to the economy, a 22-point lead over Biden because of the effect the inflation and these prices have had for a couple of years. And so right now, you continue to see these headline numbers on the economy. But the feeling among the majority of consumers in America is that things are still going in the wrong direction.
1: It's my supermarket test, Mosh. It's the Joe Wagner Grocery Index. It's true. As somebody who does the grocery shopping at least once a week, and sometimes I just run in thinking I'm going to grab a few items, and it's $200 later, you don't feel good about the state of the economy.
0: It's hard to get out of the grocery store uh, shopping for a full family for under $200 sometimes.
1: And I know I'm not alone because every time we talk about this on the podcast, a bunch of people will message me on Instagram with like memes and and videos that are also talking about this, so.
0: You're not alone, Jill, you're not alone.
1: And staying with economic news from USA Today, 60% of parents with adult children gave them financial help in the past year. That is according to Pew Research. Roughly half of under 30 adults live with their parents, and that figure has spiked dramatically over the years. Americans are marrying later and waiting longer to have children. Researchers say those trends point to a new life stage tucked between adolescence and full adulthood, and they're calling it emerging adulthood. College costs and student loan debts are rising. House prices have soared. Inflation and interest rates have vexed young consumers. And when you adjust for inflation, wages have simply not kept up. Young adults cannot afford things like you could 20 years ago. Parents also seem more inclined to carry on with parenting. Well past the age, a child exits quote unquote childhood, removing every obstacle in their path. Some researchers call it Snow plow parenting. So we've got emerging adulthood and snow plow parenting. Mosh, those are the two new terms. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of new terms here. As an elder millennial, I feel for the emerging adults uh, in their 20s and their snow plow parents. By the way, the term snow plow uh, in this case means parents who are moving everything out of the way, even for their kids in their 20s and 30s, to make sure they have an easy path. They're plowing the snow out of the way so there is no struggle. For their adult children. Pew reports that 28%, one out of four of adults ages 18 to 34, have received financial help with household expenses like groceries, the aforementioned groceries, utilities, one in four also have gotten their parents help with cell phone bills or streaming subscriptions. Check, check for some people that I know, even older than that. 17% have gotten help with rent or a mortgage. 15% have gotten help from their parents with medical expenses and 11% with education expenses. Even past 30 One third of adult children rely on their parents to pay at least some of their bills. Of course, there's a good side to this, a bad side. Parents, you know, wanting to make sure they're taking care of their kids. But then, you know, some independent experts say you need to let your kids figure it out. Obviously, don't let them sleep on the street. But ultimately, you want to ensure you're not creating any sort of dependence here and that it doesn't come at the expense of your own retirement.
1: Well, eventually, they're just going to move in with their kids in the house that they helped buy. (laughs) I think that's the plan. (laughs) And most sticking with the economy, some consumer news from Axios. It turns out Americans still really like shopping in person, despite the surge in mobile and online shopping in recent years. For all the transformation brought by the web, brick and mortar shopping still makes up 84 percent of retail. The retail apocalypse that was talked about during the pandemic as we all stayed home never happened. We're out and about. And with that, a good retail space is getting harder to find with the vacancy rate for shopping sensors nationwide at a 15-year low. Demand for retail space stayed strong overall in 2023, thanks to a growing economy and strong labor market that kept Americans shopping. Retail sales were up 3.2% in 2023 from the previous year.
0: Yeah. So one of the factors here is during COVID, landlords got really worried about the future uh, as people were on lockdown, getting deliveries, etc. So they offered big concessions to some retail tenants to keep storefronts filled. Those deals are now largely gone. But that also meant during that time, as they were offering this, you know, very low rent, depressed levels of retail construction, no one was building more storefronts, because of where people thought things were going. So less space, pretty much standard demand has kept those places full. So this is particularly notable in non-traditional mall settings. So the malls, you still have an issue, the malls of the 80s and before. The newer shops tend to be doing well, the older strip malls, not so well. Uh, For many, the success of shopping centers today are uh, diverse shopping centers. So it's not just retail shops, but medical offices, gyms, daycare centers, pickleball. And the flexibility here. Uh, appears to be a solution for shopping centers and also allows them to adjust with the times. The thought here is that retail's evolution may hold lessons for what's happening in the office real estate market right now. We've talked about that. Uh, They are struggling there to adopt. The remote-friendly work world, about one in four offices in America right now, is empty. And so landlords, as they think about what to do with all that empty office space, might have to figure out a similar situation, a hybrid structure. And we've seen that in a few places across the country where they take an office building and make it potentially partially residential, partially some shopping and some other activities uh, to go with offices.
1: From the Washington Post, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis acknowledged Friday that she had a romantic relationship with an outside prosecutor that she appointed to manage the election interference case against former President Trump and 18 of his allies. But she denied claims that the relationship had tainted the proceedings. In a 176 page court filing on Friday, Willis called the claims against her, quote, meritless and salacious. She asked a judge to reject motions from Trump and other co defendants that seek to disqualify her and her office from the case. She denied claims of misconduct and said that there is no evidence that the relationship between her and special prosecutor Nathan Wade had prejudiced the case. The filing included a sworn affidavit from Wade who said there was, quote, no personal relationship between him and Willis prior to or at the time he was appointed. Wade's affidavit said that in 2022, he and Willis, quote, developed a personal relationship in addition to our professional association and friendship.
0: Though so people are looking at the timing as interesting here. Wade actually filed for divorce from his then wife on November 2nd of 2021. That was a day after Willis appointed him to head this Trump probe Uh, So maybe they're being very careful here with their language. That said, the background here is that one of the Trump co-defendants, Mike Roman, who's part of this election interference case, alleges misconduct, accuses Wade of paying for lavish vacations that he then took his boss, Fonnie Willis, his romantic partner, on and effectively that they should throw the whole case out uh, against Trump and everybody else because of this alleged misconduct. Now, Wade says in his affidavit, the two split travel expenses when they went to Napa, went to the Caribbean, went on a cruise. And there are questions here as to this personal relationship. Now, when it comes to the case itself, uh, when it comes to election interference, there's no allegations that there are any issues there. What they're alleging here is there there's major ethical or potential illegal conduct on the part of the DA hiring Wade as a prosecutor. The bottom line here is this probably doesn't change the case itself, but it could postpone the case and create major issues for Fonnie Willis. One of the other issues here is that she hired Wade, who, again, they now have the personal relationship, despite the fact that he had little to no experience prosecuting felony cases or RICO cases ever. And this was a very high profile case taking on the former president. So there's going to be a hearing later this month where we learn more about this. A judge looks into potential misconduct here. And again, this could have impact here on Willis and Wade's careers, on whether a trial actually happens this year. And this was seen as one of the most significant cases against Trump of the four indictments. Remember, one is that New York Stormy Daniels uh, payment case. Two are the federal cases related to classified documents and election interference on a federal level. If Trump gets elected, by the way, uh, he can throw both of those cases out immediately. This is a state case regarding election interference. So for many outside observers, this is a very serious case. And the fact that Fonnie Willis has a lot of these issues now related to the case ain't great right now for that case. And it comes as there's separate allegations against Willis and a whistleblower that she was subpoenaed by Congress, Jim Jordan, a Republican in Congress, uh, late last week, subpoenaed her related to misconduct in how she was appropriating funds in her office. So Willis is uh, facing a full court press here on multiple levels, as she's also looking to move forward with this very big criminal case.
1: And some more legal news, although on the fiction side, this from ABC News. Sam Waterston, who's played the district attorney on law and order since the mid 1990s, is stepping down from his legal perch The last episode for Waterston's Jack McCoy will be February 22nd. He has been in more than 400 episodes of the police drama, earning a SAG Award and Emmy and Golden Globe nominations for the role. In a statement, Waterston says, the time has come for me to move on and take Jack McCoy with me. There is sadness in leaving, but I am just too curious about what's next. An actor doesn't want to let himself get too comfortable.
0: So Watterson is 83 years old. Uh, He first joined the show back in 1994 and then returned for the reboot last year. And uh, replacing him will also be a relatively familiar face for a number of you. Tony Goldwyn, who starred as the president in Scandal, will be cast as the new DA taking over for Watterson's character.
1: Mosh, I totally respect the idea of not wanting to get too comfortable in your current role. 30 years, though, I'm sure he is pretty comfortable, Right.
0: Jill, he's a legend in that role. I'll I'll let Sam do whatever (laughs) he needs to do.
1: And finally, from NBC News, a collection of sneakers that superstar Michael Jordan wore as he and the Chicago Bulls won the six NBA championships, has fetched $8 million at auction, setting a new record for game-worn sneakers, according to Sotheby's. The six Air Jordan shoes, one apiece from the last games of the 1991, 92, 93 96, 97, and 98 championship series sold on Friday. Sotheby's dubbed it the Dynasty Collection.
0: I wanted to make sure we repeat there as a, as a born and raised Chicago Jill. All the championships the Bulls won there in the 90s.
1: <laughs> you would definitely enjoyed that.
0: <laughs> By the way, Sotheby's not identifying who the buyer was here. They described the seller only as a private American collector who obtained them from a longtime Bulls executive jordan had a tradition giving a sneaker from each series to the executive and i guess this eventually got to market here uh the jordan uh, memorabilia market is pretty incredible when it when you see how much things are going for a pair by the way <laughs> these six were just individual shoes you're not even getting a pair per uh series here but a pair from the 98 series was sold separately uh, last april for 2.2 million dollars that is a record for a pair of sneakers all time the highest auction price for Michael Jordan memorabilia was just over $10 million for a jersey he wore in a series that was sold back in 2022. Uh, and recently, an unused ticket to Jordan's debut back in 84 was sold for just under half a million dollars uh, last year. So the Jordan memorabilia market, still very hot. All right. And now we end, as always, with On This Day in History. we begin on this day in 1937. President Franklin Roosevelt proposed increasing the number of U.S. Supreme Court justices. Uh, the proposal, uh, which was dubbed packing the court, came as he was dealing with a very conservative court that was rejecting some of his measures he was trying to pass out of the New Deal. He wanted to add a few justices, actually take it from a nine-person court to a 15-person court. That would fail pretty quickly in Congress. Though historically, I should note, the court has not always been at nine, Jill, from six to seven to nine, though we have been at that nine number now for more than a century. On this day in 1962, Ringo Starr, you might know him, he made his first live appearance with the Beatles, filling in for drummer Pete Best, who happened to be ill at the time. They played two shows on this day in 62. And then a few months later, the Beatles were like, you know, Ringo... You should join us full-time. And so in August of 62 is when Ringo officially joined the Beatles uh, as we knew them through most of their time.
1: So you're telling me he was a freelancer first.
0: Yeah, Jill, don't take too many days off for the next (laughs) Ringo. (laughs) The next Ringo might join the phone news podcast. (laughs) And one more item from this century. On this day in 2003, Secretary of State Colin Powell appeared before the UN Security Council to present evidence that Iraq-possessed Weapons of mass destruction and pose an immediate danger. Uh, Powell would later call this UN speech a giant intelligence failure and a blot on his record. All right, now for what you've been waiting for. On this day in 1990, 34 years ago, the revival of the game show Supermarket Sweep. It was actually the second of three iterations of the show, but probably most familiar to those of us um, from the 90s, premiered on the Lifetime Network, February 5th, 1990 where, you know, you're running through the aisles, you need to know the price of everything. And Jill, I just always remember the secret was to go for the ham because the hams were worth (laughs) the most amount of money.
1: I don't even remember all of the rules. I just remember desperately wanting to get on that show and thinking about it every single time I went into the supermarket.
0: It was the only time where you would want to uh, ensure that your bill was as high as possible. Uh, that was like the goal of supermarket sweep. Like sometimes you wanted to get to the accurate price. And by the end, it was just like load up your cart with as much as possible to get <laughs> the highest total.
1: Not to get too Freudian, but is, I feel like my obsession with, <laughs> with food shopping, did it stem from supermarket sweep? I'm, I'm wondering if I should see someone, maybe there's a yeah, connection.
0: Let me know what the therapist says on this day, <laughs> 41 years ago, February 5th, 1983, a bit of music history. Africa by Toto reached number one on the Billboard charts. Take the from you. Jill, it's hard to go by a karaoke joint without hearing somebody singing this. And by that, I mean me. I feel like every time I do karaoke, I'm always Toto <laughs> this Africa. This is your go-to? This is a go-to of mine. Interestingly, as we looked into this, it almost didn't make the album. The members of the group, two band members, described the song as, quote, dumb, and experiment and thought the lyrics were goofy. You know, the line, apparently, as sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. Uh, They certainly made it rhyme and found Africa references. The song is about a young boy dreaming about Africa, but never having been there. Anyway, apparently, despite their feelings about the song being dumb, they recorded it last second and put it on the uh, album. And, you know, it's, besides Rosanna, probably one of Toto's most famous songs, if not their most famous song.
1: It's always the ones that they don't expect <laughs> that are the hits.
0: <laughs> like, this song's dumb. Let's throw it on there. And the world was like, are you kidding me? You <laughs> <Love> question <it! laughs> Total Africa? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally we end here, as I've been trying to do, with a bit of 21st century history. On this day in 2008, Kid Cudi released his song Day and Night on this day in 2008.
1: Day and night. I
0: I I should note, he was born Scott Miscuddy, and he tried to make his name initially Kid Misk, but people kept calling him Kid Mess, apparently, including Lil Wayne, so he eventually went with the latter part of his last name and became Kid Cuddy. We give you everything. You probably weren't looking for Kid (laughs) Cuddy's the origin of his name today, but I'm giving it to you anyway, because you've reached this far on the podcast.
1: Mosh, I appreciate it because at least now I'll never mispronounce it as Kid Cudi again.
0: Jill, you can go two <laughs> directions, but just to let you know, Scott Muscutty became Kid Cuddy for all of you looking at your early 2000s hip hop history.
1: All right. I think we have officially covered everything here. Um, we do want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store
0: day and night we're with you here at mo news (laughs) to quote kid cuddy uh on instagram on the podcast and via the newsletter make sure you subscribe to all and join us for mo news premium mo.news slash premium our weekend coverage on the instagram account is now over on premium so make sure to join for that extra podcast jill has a new podcast out with the uh, u.s ambassador for anti-semitism that's out on the premium pod as well. Uh, We answer your questions on that Instagram account. It's a way to support what we're doing here on this podcast that we continue and will always do for free here on the main Mo News podcast. So check that out. Check out Mo News Premium. It's a good way to support us and independent journalism at Premium.
1: I appreciate, by the way, all the kind words. I got a ton of messages about the interview that I did with Ambassador Lipstat. So really appreciate that. And a bunch of people told me that they were going to watch Denial which was what I said that I was going to be watching this past weekend. And I did watch it, which is about uh, Deborah Lipstadt. So appreciate everyone for that.
0: All right. See you guys back here tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.